I'll just go straight in with who who are you and why are you here today? God, that's a philosophical question. It so is. Did you want just the basic facts? You can, you fact? can, you can, yeah. If you who if you give I? us the rundown, it's an impressive list I've got from uh, <laughs> from what George has given me in the Google. But uh, how how would you introduce yourself? So I am a um, northerner, father, husband. Um, I've you know had a massive good fortune to be born at a time when the internet was coming into public consciousness. So I've I've, I've hooked myself through a career in the internet with lastman.com, match.com. I was an investor in Skyscanner. I'm an investor in 25 businesses now. And and recently I, I built Simply Business where I was a CEO. Now I'm the vice chairman. So um, but I think it's a good question philosophically. Who, who are you? It is. We've I talked think, about it a I lot. Think, yeah. I, think it, I think it's sort of, without sort of trivialising it, that's kind of the thing that drives drives me really. He's trying to work out what are you? Who are you? How can you be useful? What's your purpose? So, do you find that stuff identifies you? Yeah, because um, it's difficult not to. But at the same time, until you meet people, it does. You know, mm. I'd like, I'd like. I mean, the stuff I'd like to be identified. I'd like to be identified as a good dad and a good husband. I mean, that would be that wouldn't be. There's no downside to that. Mm. I think. Um, I think it's a shortcut. I mean, I'm an author recently as well. I found that's an interesting shortcut into people making assumptions about you that opens doors and that's so helpful but who knows I don't spend too much time thinking about what people think of me I genuinely don't I'm like everything is is a constant sense of discovery and surprise in my life so but um, there's, no, there's no real downside to it I don't think that's an interesting a good insight to have because I feel like the who are you question is quite an existential one that it I, is, yeah. only being at Sanctus I've realized you can't just say or not, you can't just say, you maybe shouldn't just go straight into what your job title is. I think it's fascinating. So, so you know, um, we can either pick this theme or not, but I think, you know, at the, at, the, at the risk of pontificating, and I'm doing a lecture this evening at LBS on some of this stuff, so stop me at any point. But actually, we tend to get, or, or we, tend, we tended to have gotten stuck into the, a straight line connection between your role, your work role, how much money you make, uh, and, and your sense of identity. When actually, mm. you know, Adam Smith in, in 1776 wrote The Wealth of Nations. The Wealth of Nations, a lot of people think, is the sort of foundational work of economics, but actually he was a moral philosopher, and his work was more about how the role of morality and ethics and value in society um, could be better defined, and actually economics was one part of that. And I think, you know, what, what I like to think about now with my own book is... Um, and how can we visit that? Capitalism is, was one mode and one component of that that's worked to a point but needs correcting. Mm. But the bigger question is, is a sort of a, is a, you know, few thousand years old, which is Aristotle, which is what's a good life? How do we lead a good life? And I think that's fundamentally what we're all trying to work out. And what we do in the daytime, in our work and with the people we work is one part of that rather than the thing necessarily. Yeah. So. So it is an important question. It also gives me a chance to use my philosophy degree, which was 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, I was about to say, it sounds like a very ph- more philosophical book you're writing. What What is your book you're writing about? No, I wrote it. So it was published last year. So it's, oh, it's called Reboot. So. And it's, uh, thanks for reading it. I, um, <laughs> I, um, I, 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 I've got I'll, a copy, Scotty, so I'm, I'll give I'm it to outsi- you. I'm the outside I've perspective. Got, no, yeah, you can get away with that. <laughs> I get I've got, away. I don't I've got 5,000 copies in my garage. I'll send you one. <laughs> um, no, so the, the book was really a counter-argument to some of the noise around um, fatalistic arguments that have been raised in the last couple of years that AI, machine learning, advanced robotics are going to take away swathes of jobs. And there's a guy, two Oxford academics called Fran Osborne, that wrote this study that said 47% of jobs are going to go by 2030. And that may or may not be true. Right? None of us know. So, so I wanted to, to see whether, if it is true, how does that statement 
um, look in the context of several years of industrial history. And we've been here before, and, and, and people don't really understand that, whether it was robotics in the 80s, whether it was the Industrial Revolution. There's been times where we've all hold hands up and go, look, we're heading for an apocalypse. So I, I wanted to talk about my experience with people that I know that understand these issues, um, just to put some context in it. And then more importantly, I wanted to tell a bit of a, a story about, even if it is true, we've got 20 or 30 years to work out the purpose of work and capitalism and how we can build businesses that are more than just about making money, quite frankly, because it's, it's unsatisfactory as, an, as a as a sort of a of an intent for people. I mean, just don't that don't people unless you're wired that way. And it's weird. I don't meet many people that are that think about money as the objective. Money's a part of it. Making money for shelters is important, but it's not the thing. It's part of trying to build. Doesn't have to be the end goal. No, no. It's, it's it's a it's a milestone. It's a gateway, and it's important. But it's about stakeholders. You need to think about shareholders, but you also need to think about the environment. You need to think about employees. You need to think about society at large. And again, these are ideas that Adam Smith had broadly in the, you know, in, the, in the 1700s and they've been updated again and again but for the last 50 years we've got sort of sidetracked into neoliberal economics of sort of mm. Frederick Hayek and Milton Friedman and Reagan and Thatcher and ending in 2008 and I think people are just going can't, that can't be it can it just mm. making money I mean it's, it's done well it's re- you know on all major measures the world has got better whether it's health outcomes people in poverty um, gender diversity it's not perfect but it's got better mm. and I just think we need to reboot capitalism just to think about value in a broader sense a bit mean in a broader sense and have you always felt like that or thought about that because I remember I don't don't know if you mind me sharing this I remember you ten, when we caught up it was a few months maybe last year I remember you were one of the few people that told me, George Jamo, don't worry about Never making. Never said Jamo. James, that. James, that. James, always James. <laughs> don't worry. You're gonna make. You're gonna make money at some point in your career. Yeah. So don't worry about that. You kind of made me feel really, I don't know, patient because you really. And then you shared a story that like, I've made kind of money in my career a couple of times where I've been involved with you know a few different businesses where there's been a windfall or a payout, and actually. That's where I sort of learned that like, it's not just about that. Um, and yeah, you kind yeah. of shared that after those periods. That's you're actually quite low. It's a weird. Um, it's a weird thing, like George, because I, um, I when I was once your age, and you know, it was um, I had a couple of people that saw something in me in the same way I see something in you guys, which is there's just a uh, an ability that you'll work it out. And making money along the way will happen to you because it's actually it's not that hard in the scheme of stuff. It's not that hard. You know, people who obsess about it make it hard because it's a false god in, in all kinds of ways. But if you're just good and you're building a business the right way, you will create value and value in the broader sense. And money will be one part of that. So it was never the objective for me. You know, I, I, I mucked about after after did my A levels, did badly in those, um, went to work in the States at Disney World, went on a keyboard, travel, studied philosophy. So it was never a plan to go into business. And it just so happened when the internet came out, it was interesting. And so so, I, so A, it was never an objective to build a business or make money. And B, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it doesn't drive me. So when I got to those points where we had sort of financial events in companies, whether we recapitalized or we sold them, Beyond a certain point, and there's a great book, by the way, called Happy Money. I must have mm. recommended that before, but it's, mm. a, it's the book everyone should read about. It's about what we understand about psychology now and what are the things that really give us value in our lives. And money is up until a certain point. You know, you've got to be able to pay the bills and make sure you pay down your student loans and you've got enough to do the things you want to do. But you can get there quite quickly in life, particularly if you're deliberate about it. So as long as you don't want yachts and private islands and all that stuff, 
you know, you can get to being financially independent pretty quickly, so you've got better choices in your life. But the sort of the larger, the sort of financial independence money where you, it creates, it's, um, yeah, just, I mean, how many cars do you need? How many houses do you need? Mm. How many clothes do you need? I mean, unless you're obsessed by that stuff and, and you're comparing yourself to somebody, which I've never been, it's um, it's been a nice feeling, but it's never been the same as any of the relationships I've had or my kids being born or getting married. or It mm. just pales by comparison. So I'm not trivialising it because there are markers in your life and there are gates and it opens up opportunities for you. But it's never the thing. Mm. So, um, And I've seen it again and again with entrepreneurs that make quite a lot of money and they go out and buy a ridiculous car and... You know, often change their relationships and stuff, and it just. And then a year later, they're depressed or, mm. or, or realizing that actually stuff that matters is the relationship they've had for twenty years, mm. or the friends that they've got, or the fact they can do something useful with it. So it's obvious saying it, but mm. at this the other side of that equation, I can tell you it's true. <laughs> and is that why you felt so low after you made some money? Because your expectation was that you'd be happier no, than you were. No, it wasn't. It wasn't the money thing per se. Actually, it was more about when when I've done deals. What I realized early on is the challenge is the thing and the and you know it's okay it's a massive cliche but you know building teams going on journeys solving problems that's the thing right and you know day to day trying to work your way around a particular problem that's interesting that's where you come alive you know being parts of a group where you love them and you share time and you're in a community together that's the thing whatever the thing is and then when you get to markers there's a there's a really compelling psychological narrative that you'll be told which is those end states should feel like the win mm. and they're not they're just markers so you've got all this conflicting information that when you do big deals and suddenly your bank balance looks different or you're in the press or whatever and people assume that that's the thing but the thing is the journey to get there that's the fun that's the interest that's where your mind that's where you're waking up at four with a problem to solve and it's a good feeling because mm. you're energised so those markers end up being you're kind of deflating because you get there and you go wait, I've got to go again now and that's that's usually the first thing you go you go so my, 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 when, when my wife and I made up the sort of the um, the sort of real life changing sort of financial event that we had we literally went to the pub and had a pint and we sat there going is this it Right, so I get back to work and change the kids. I had to put the bins out that night, you know, and that's great. And we were laughing about it and we didn't even, you know, it wasn't even a bottle of champagne. Or we went and had a pint and we're like, that's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, okay, right, what am I going to do next? And it's literally like that and that's how it should be because that moment isn't the thing. Now, you need to enjoy it. And we went out with our teams and stuff. Make sure you're celebrating at different people. But yes, it's um, if if you if you tee that up as the moment where you're going to feel self-actualised, you're going to be very disappointed. And so... I think one of the things I always think about for entrepreneurial people is you have this... I was interviewed for a, 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 the Yorkshire Post a couple of weeks ago, and the guy asked me, I don't think it was in print, but he asked me about, um, you know, am I going to retire now? Now I was so simple. I was like, yeah, it's a weird for entrepreneurs. that You always think that your next thing is your big thing. Mm -hmm. And so I still feel that way. I'm 48 now, but I feel like my next thing is the more, most interesting and biggest thing I'm going to go on to. And, and the long may that last, I hope it never goes away. So I think that's something that, so, yeah, it all felt a bit fed up because I think when I was younger, I thought it was going to be more of a moment which would feel profound and it, and it wasn't. So thinking about deconstructing it, I always make sure people are aware of that now, that, it, you know, you should celebrate those moments, you should take pride in them and pleasure, and certainly as a team, because they are, they are chapter endings. But what's more important is the next chapter and what you're going to write next, I think. I've used this uh, fact a few few days in a row now, but it, uh, it's uh, quite a common one, the fact that I think it's £60,000 a year or something like that, but apparently after that it doesn't 
happiness and the amount you earn doesn't actually correlate. So as soon yeah, as you're over, I think it's right. And there's some studies. I don't know if it's that much actually. I guess living in London, it's, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's weighted. I guess it's probably that sounds that, that sounds about right. I remember thirty grand being the big thing for me. Mm. I remember I remember having a, having a negotiation with my boss at the time, and she offered me like twenty nine and a half. I was like, it's got to be thirty, and for no <laughs> obvious reason, it was just in my head. It was like just, a big. Yeah, no, it was a big number, mm. you know. And so, and, and I remember after that, I, I remember, uh, and this was like late twenties, early thirties. I'd paid down my student loans. It was like that, and I'd never bothered about it. I just started ticking along in the background, and I was in my overdraft all the time. And I, and I didn't plan it, by the way. But just one day, I'd gone through the month without having to get my overdraft. And I've been in my overdraft for like fifteen years. <laughs> you know, it never never even bothered me. It was just the natural state of living in London and doing what I was doing. Mm. And there's a day where I went through the month. I was like, oh, I've I'm going to my overdraft this month. And it was no planning whatsoever, but it was just a moment where, and I, and I probably, if I look back, and that was probably the moment where, because I wasn't living my life any differently, mm. where suddenly you, you start to think slightly differently about, you know, maybe I'll buy a house or maybe I'll do this and this. But it was never, it was never designed that way for me. But that sounds about right, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I get the sense you've never been directly then driven by money at that point. It's always been different factors in your life. Yeah. So what have been like the measures of success? So I was skinters. I mean, we were skinters kids. So mm. I've, I've got like three brothers. We grew up in a council estate. We were cold a lot. We were never hungry, but we were cold a lot. And we, we were moved around from houses. But um, so I think, I think it was always, I, I wanted to take care of myself. Um, but the motivations are just curiosity. I think curiosity is the thing, is you know, and, and and I like being in teams. I like building teams. I like, but it's always intellectual challenges. You know, what's a problem that you can get into, and how do you put people around that and create ideas and be creative? And it just happens that I apply myself in business. But you know, I've always I've always been creative. I've always written, and you know, I've always been interested in the arts and music. And so so there's been a part of that that's been built into my life. But I think the drive is curiosity. I think it's that straightforward. I'm inquisitive. I'm nosy. I'm interested in stuff I read a lot you know so I'm always trying to think about uh, what's next and so yeah the more of a trap there's never been like hey, I want to make a load of money or I've got something mm. to prove it's just been about I'm just in, I'm just interested in stuff well, how has that filtered down then like going into senior roles and being a leader how has that filtered down to the people uh, well, I don't want to say below but you know what I mean like how have you conveyed that message so I think I think um, I mean, when we built Simply Business, which was the, the 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 business that I really felt like I owned and could get control of. So, you know, I was a, I was a, I was I was leading businesses that were shareholder owned in Match and and or, or, you know, in in the business I ran at last minute were owned by lastminute.com. So this was the first one, but it was really about building a business I wanted to work in. We've talked a lot about this, you know, it's it's what you guys are doing now, which is, you know, yeah, just trying to think about how do you bring 100 percent of yourself to work and allow yourself to be your honest and open self. And, and I think the role of a CEO, and I've thought a lot about this in the last 10 years, and it's, it's in the book, uh, is about you, know, you, you set the tone for the organisation. And it's often not in what you say, it's how you behave. So, you know, I think organisations, my, my model of organisations that will win, in a world of increasing accelerations of technologies, in a world of increasing complexity and uncertainty, in a world of globalisation, you know, Stop picking on the future and picking something that is going to win is not going to work. What's going to win for businesses are the ability to be adaptive and responsive and emotionally intelligent. And so, so I think in order to do that, leaders set the tone through their behaviours. And so for me, it was all about making sure people understood that I prioritise my family above everything else. You know, I prioritise, you know, quality of ideas rather than being right, debating ideas rather than it being the CEO has to be right. And then stuff I've always done. So I've, I mean, I've been indulged, I guess, because it was. 
you know, it was in my gift to be able to do that. But, you know, we'd, we'd have things where I talk about ideas. I do present. I did this presentation nine years ago called Why I'm a Phone Fascist. And I did this thing around. I started to understand about how telephony mobiles were interrupting in, on our humanity. And so it's coming through now. And But my people in business will tell you. So I wrote this presentation while I was off sick, actually. I just wrote it in an afternoon around why I think these are important issues. And so I did this whole, I did this whole, series of lectures in the business where it's nothing about our business it's really about the implications for technology the implications for society the implications for relationships and so people could see but it, it, it's nothing to do with the business but it's everything to do with our business it's about connecting it's about being present with each other it's about yeah. living deliberately around how you use technologies and so now it's everywhere right people are talking i was with tristan harris last week who's the guy from time well spent center for humane technology and so I'm, I want to help with that work because I think it's I think it's probably the biggest issue. But again, people know that that's what I'm interested in. You know? So the mm-hmm. business stuff is not that hard. You know, you you move resources around and you let people try and solve a problem. But you know, trying to talk philosophically to get people engaged in ideas that are bigger than themselves. I, I, that's whenever I've I remember first meeting you, Jason, and I came away from the meeting. And I was like, Jamo, where have you, how have you met this guy? It's just yours. Do you really call him Jamo? Yeah, so, sorry, so, so, yeah, Jamo, yeah. Things, That's my so, nickname, so, I don't so, know why. Yeah, no, I like it, yeah. Um, it's taken me a year, but I've started calling him <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I met a guy the other day, and his nickname was Jet, and I was like, why has he got a cool nickname? You know, <laughs> my wife calls Jace, me... Jace, do you get Jace? No, my wife calls me Ted, but it's short for shithead, basically, <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> That's about it, but Jet, I thought Jet was a cool Yeah. Name. And it's sorry. No, I was going to say, like, Scotty, we would go over to see Jason, and he's got a room called Grim, the Grimsby Room. And, like, even that was a small thing for me to be like, I would ask, why is it called Grimsby? And the team would say, oh, that's where Jason's from. And then the minute you, I first met you, I wouldn't have really, I didn't really know you were the CEO. You just come across so relatable, so real, so normal. Um, I think that's almost, that's like your superpower, I feel. Well, it's nice of you to say so. I mean, the Grimsby, the Grimsby room, by the way, I'll, I'll, I'll own up to. So we named the rooms and we thought, rather than do like capital cities, so let's do places people are born. Mm. But I stuck the Grimsby sticker to my hand. So when I pulled the first one out of the hat, I was like, oh, it's Grimsby. So <laughs> I wanted my hotel in one of the rooms. I don't know if people know that. Sabotage. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I, was, I, was, I think people pretty guessed it. The first <laughs> one out was my hometown. But um, I don't know. It's that, it's that whole thing again, which is... Um, I think I'm interested in people. And I'm interested in everyone's got a story, right? Everyone's got chaos or some level of, of interest or intrigue in their life. And so my life is, has been a series of really serendipitous meetings, I think. You have to be open-minded to look for them. Mm. But I've met some fast, like you guys, you know, it's a mm. privilege to, to meet James in that instance and meet you, George, and say, look, you're doing something I think is incredible. So for me, it's, it's the other way around. So I'm like, what a gift to be able to help and be around to witness that and see what you're going to go through. Mm. And so my life has been that way just by being, I've never, I've, I hate the phrase networking because people see it as a mechanical <laughs> transactional thing. But if you just meet people, and it's quite rare I don't give, you know, people, even people I don't know, just because of, because of the, time constraints and the, the you know and, and the number of people now but i try and you know try and try and give myself time to meet people mm. who i don't know and stuff and it's just amazing how i'll tell you a quick story if you indulge i mean i am um, one, one of my it ties into the financial thing so about 15 years ago i'm gonna tell you the story i got turned down for a job i was going to um a lady was um, a lady called mt rainey used to run big ad agents amazing incredible lady big friend of mine now and she was running this charity called The Horse's Mouth, which is about a, um, a like a dating platform for wisdom. So if you've got a problem in your life or a challenge, you, it matched you with people that had some sort of knowledge and experience on that. 
Anyway, she turned me down for the job. I got to the last two, and she rightly so, by the way. I was completely underqualified and ill-equipped, but we became friends. I said, look, I'd love to help anyway, so we became friends. Anyway, she introduced me to her brother-in-law because he was working on a project with some entrepreneurs. And again, she said, oh, will you meet them, talk about travel tech, which is what I knew. Anyway, that relationship was the Skyscanner guys. So again, if you've been turned down for a job, I got introduced to Skyscanner and ended up on the board of that business, invested in that business. But more importantly, John, her brother-in-law, is now one of my best mates. So again, just weirdly, I mean, that's all reverse engineers. I looked, I didn't think consciously, I'm being turned down for a job, I wonder where this will go. But just by chance, you know, a chance meeting, getting turned down for a job has not only introduced me to a business that was phenomenal, but also to a really good friend of mine. So mm. just it's amazing how if you're open-minded to that stuff and open-hearted to it, where these things can lead, quite mm. frankly, rather than it being a transactional, mm. I'm going to meet this person because this, this, and this. And so I just think that... Um, mm. You never know where that comes from, mate. It can mm. go, and it, it doesn't have to be old people older than you. It, it can often, yeah. you know, I get a lot of my stimulation from the ideas and energy of young entrepreneurs, right? So meeting you guys and what you're doing, that's fascinating to me, right? So I think so, 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 I see it as as I get older, which I'm not there yet, but you know, as I get maybe 10, 15 years, it might be the way of staying young, I think, is to tap into ideas mm. and energy from other people. So, mm. um, but it's also, you know, you can't fake it. You've got to be authentic. Right? Again, for me, you're not defined by the role that you do, you're defined by the person that you are and the values that you've got. And so if people come and see you as the CEO of a company, that's one thing, but if people actually come into you to see, meet you as the person, and I've, I've said that to young entrepreneurs before, so, you know, particularly people in corporate world, when people come and see you as the, as the, you know, as the MD of Match, mm. as an example, I told the guy that replaced me, I said, look, they're coming to see the MD of Match, they're not coming to see you, and there's a bit of you in the role does that make sense? Mm. It's like, and people often get hooked up and obsessed by titles and roles and power and stuff. But actually, what really matters is when you're, you know, when you're 90, when you're sat on your sofa with your partner, thinking about, you know, did I do, did I do the right thing, and did I live the life I wanted to lead, rather mm. than does your CV, yeah. look, does your CV have yeah. your titles on it? That's, I mean, I think for a lot of people listening, even for me, it makes so much sense. I think the sometimes people question me on but don't you know this this phrase of like nice guys finish last you know the kind of um you have to be ruthless in business and you can't be the kind of the nice guy in those meetings oh no gross my mic um <laughs> yeah have you had that before as well no i'm not that nice george you know so that's, <laughs> I, don't, and, um, I don't know it's um I think that's wrong. That comes from an area of sort of toxic masculinity and, you know, the idea of in capitalism where there has to be winners and losers. And life's not like that, right? Life, we all know that we work best in, in environments that are supportive, that are challenging in the right way, that make us feel like we can do our best work. So certainly in businesses, I mean, I, I, the, the best businesses I've seen don't have the sort of hero leader who's like barking orders it but that's just such an anachronism i think mm. i don't know if it ever worked to be honest with you but that was certainly the myth wasn't it about the hero leader the need to have all the answers needs to be right i think it's a mm. distorted view of masculinity that has mm. no place in the 21st century as well i mean we all know that i mean see your business rights that where you thrive and where you be, become you know the the, the the you know the best version of yourself is where you're in touch with the emotion and your flaws and your vulnerability and who you are yeah. as well. Yeah. Now, by the way, you can't be rubbish. No. Yeah, rubbish people finish last. Mm. No, mm. nice, nice, <laughs> nice guys finish first as long as they're good at their jobs and they're challenging. And you know, so you know, you just can't be a hippie and sit there open the world to make itself mm. known to you. You've got, you got to be driven. But I don't think there's anything that there's nothing about meanness or the in of itself 
is helpful, I don't think. Mm. To you as an individual or to your business. And people don't want to work for arseholes anymore. It's that simple, isn't it? If you've got the best people, the most creative people, want to be challenged, but they they want to be in an environment where they can feel love and affection and, you know, all those things that we need as people, not... Not some wanker in the corner barking mm. orders at you. It just doesn't make sense anymore to no. me. It never has, but it, it makes even less sense in the 21st mm. century. I think just growing up for me, I don't know about you, Scotty, but I the only, I've, I've said this so many times in this podcast, the only examples I had was like The Apprentice and Dragon's Den and oh, fuck, yeah. you know films like Wolf on Wall Street. Yeah. That was my perception of business. Yeah. And then meeting people like you genuinely, it's only in the last couple of years, I think this is why I'm so passionate about it now, yeah. and meeting super successful people like you who believe in the things that you're talking about. And I'm trying to communicate that to other people, like to my brother. I'm like, mate, it's true. You know, you can be a good person and it is good for business, I promise you. It's a, I um, mean, we'll take, we'll take the view on whether I've been good or not you know, when I'm 90, but yeah. it's just, I, I like that the, the apprentice, it's, and it's, look, it's, it's theatre and it's, it's pantomime, right? But I wrote this thing a few years ago about the, the, it's like sociopaths in MS suits, you know, they would never get a job anywhere else. <laughs> And the idea, let's forget, let's put aside the legal ramifications mm. of leaning across the table, pointing to someone in the face and saying, you're fired. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I mean you'd, be, you'd be in court and in the papers if you actually did that before yeah. you know. But it's just, you know, I, I, I think it, it's panto, right? But I think, I think the danger of it is, is exactly that. that if, if, you're, if you're a kid growing up in Grimsby now and your idea of business is, you know, being shouty and, and, and pointing at people when you don't like what they're doing... You know that that's that's. I think that's a problem. I do think it's a problem because there isn't there isn't a counterweight to that, which I think hopefully will get out there in the next ten years. But it's just it's so ridiculous, right? It's just so ridiculous. Mm. Or the idea of like the dragons den where there's a bunch of people just sat judging you, <laughs> and you come in, you're like, this is my life, this is my idea, and they go, no shit, out <laughs> you go. I mean, it just it just sets up such a distorted idea that there are people that have this, you know, ability to look into what is good and what works and what doesn't and that's mm. there's just such a range of of answers on that you know mm. we will all we'll all miss things that were wrong because they're wrong at that wrong time we'll all get stuff right that is completely chance and good luck so the idea that you know and which is the impression of those those tv shows so there's some sort of sort of um you know some, some sort of knowledge that you, these people have mm. that the rest of us don't have they know what is good and bad they know the future they know what mm. work and actually, if they just went, actually, it's just it's just guessing. Mm. It's just guessing. <laughs> slightly better informed guessing sometimes. Mm. I mean, I like horse racing, as you know, and I bet on horses, and like it's the same mm. thing betting on businesses. Mm. Sometimes, but you you know, if you pick the right horse and the right jockey and the right trainer, you have a slightly better chance of getting it right. Mm. But it doesn't guarantee you'll get it right. Mm. Whereas those programs just make it look like they've got this degree of certainty and knowledge that is it's bullshit, yeah. quite frankly. So, do you think that's ever existed, like this this? stereotype I suppose of, uh, of how we see leaders in business yeah have you, have you been involved in businesses where you've seen it work yeah no not work I've seen it though I saw it early on in my career and, and, and you know I, I actually informed the type of so, so bosses that I had that were awful have informed me as much what I want to do with businesses as 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 the good bosses that I had and the good mm. so you know I went oh that 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 just didn't work for me personally like people who ruled by by rules or by metrics only there's no interpretation or no humanity was allowed in you know if you had a bad day when I started from the call center in trail finders if you had a bad day selling there was nothing to do with the fact that you might just have had a bad day because it was always like your metrics were off and it was always it was always a lack of humanity to rule through a spreadsheet mm. and then I had a boss that I had a really shouty boss once who I don't know, it's no coincidence, he had the worst breath of anyone I've ever met in my life as well. So it was like, oh, it was just, it was violent, you know, it's like properly violent breath. 
but he was just a, he was mean, he was mean to people. Mm. And when you stood up to him, that classic bully, when you stood up to him, he usually buckled and he thought you earned his respect and he brought me on the inside. And I was like, I had less respect for him for that almost. But it was weird, mm. he, he commanded a loyalty with people that were on the inside, because they were on the inside of his meanness and he trusted them. It was weird to see, it was like, um, you know, Stockholm syndrome with the hostages where the people flip over and they fall in love and have affection for their mm. and it was the same thing it was like he was mean to everybody and then if he was if you're on the inside he created this really loyal band of people that were his people so I remember observing it thinking hey that's odd he was impressive by the way mm. you know he also had a really lovely wife his wife was like um, into the arts and stuff and I remember thinking he can't be that bad mm. because she's lovely and so I don't know whether it's an act or like many things you know mean people are usually I tell my kids this you know bullies mean people it's usually because they're really insecure about something scared mm. yeah. Yeah, yeah probably his breath maybe he knew about his breath that was the thing that was driving <laughs> me, that's you know, the story you're yeah. still scarred I can tell oh he had, op- <laughs> he had an open channel from his bowels to his mouth it was so bad it was it was, um, it was, it was violent yeah. to the point where you couldn't sit in a room like this with him you'd have to be sat sideways oh you know, this, this would work Work. Yeah, yeah. sideways <laughs> on you want me in the direct yeah. flow of anyway but I don't know I about bad yeah I don't know about bad breath but I've got a lot of mates who work I don't know about you Scotty but work in places like that oh, where yeah. it's yeah, driven yeah. by fear Still, essentially is it re- really yeah. Yeah, yeah why'd they stay why'd they stay I th- well I mean they, they probably won't listen to my mates that are but <laughs> it's I think it comes down to um, self worth really of employees if you have somebody telling you you know, you need to sacrifice or you're not doing good enough unless you sacrifice, especially earlier on in your career, then their words gospel, really, mm. to you. Uh, and therefore, you just kind of don't accept that there's a, an alternative to a toxic place where you can be working. You don't know any different. Yeah, you don't know. And yeah. also, like, if, if it knocks your self-confidence to begin, then you don't really have the the leverage in your, your own um, opinion That's of yourself to be able yeah. to say you know fuck this well it's interesting though if if it actually gets to the level where it's affecting your confidence i never thought of in those sort of grounds that you could get into a really you know destructive cycle of that if you're early on in your career in particular and you see this as the norm and you see it as a comment on your capability rather than their value system Mm. i mean the problem is is it can work but you see stuff without naming businesses but there were businesses recently aren't they in the online world Mm. that have been you know, some of their internal practices have been exposed for. I don't like to jump on the bandwagon for that stuff, but you look at the idea of, you know, CEOs demanding that type of. I think we talked about Revolut last week. The, oh, you did the bank. Oh, you know, yeah, we I talked about it. Yeah. To be coy then. I no, no, no. no. I, I thought it was the <laughs> same one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Name yeah. Shame. yeah. And no, it's, I don't like to pile on stuff because you never know. You never get the full mm. story. But you know, there's some of that, that that is tough to read, right? About some of the internal emails and the demands on. You know, you think. It just it just doesn't motivate people for the long term. But you know, there's, there's a sort of a there's a weird paradox, right? That the the ability to raise money for your business and create valuation increases is different to having a great business that'll last for the long haul, right? Mm. So you can create momentum through a business, raise money for shares and valuation that make people a lot of money. Mm which is separate to can you create a culture that will sustain and last and do well by people. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And so I think, you know, the the, the trick and the, the real, you know, the, the real holy grail is bringing those two things together, creating value for shareholders, mm-hmm. but doing it in a way where people like to work in the company, feel like they're fulfilling their potential. I mean, mm-hmm. a community of people that care about them, that love them, that are helping them become the best version of themselves. So I think that's that's the model. It just doesn't seem, it seems obvious right. to me. It just mm. doesn't seem that far reach. I, I know I've got friends who work in bigger companies and it, it, it's almost like a shrug of the shoulders. It's like, well, you know, John is always going to be like that and it's just how it is here. And it, 
people almost become resigned to the fact that that's just how that's just how it is. That's how they are. It's how the business has always been. And you know, so I actually get quite a lot of stick actually um, by talking about this stuff because they do. They, I think a lot of my friends think that I live in this kind of bubble, perfect mm. world where yeah, but you work in a startup. It's yeah, Sanctus. Yeah. You know, easy for you to say. Basically. It's easy for me to say, yeah, because you work in Shoreditch and stuff. And mm. I, I do, I, I do get that because I, um, I, I appreciate that there's different people that live in different work, live and work in different places. But it almost frustrates me sometimes that. But you got, I mean, it comes back it. to the first question, man. We talked about what is what is the purpose of your life? What value are you trying to create for yourself beyond financial outcomes, right? So. Look, I, you know, I, I, I haven't worked enough in larger businesses. You know, I sit on the operating committee of Travellers in the US now, which is 35,000 people and 40 billion markets. So I'm getting some insight into that. And, you know, in many ways, it's no different. You know, it's people who want to do the right thing by their families. They want to make money. They, they want to, you know, try fulfil their own potential in their career. So it's incredibly similar, which is why I wanted to be part of that. And we sold Simply Business into because it feels like a good home for us. But you know there are there are the questions that I didn't ask myself by the way early on in my career because I didn't know it was open to me. But you know when you're just trying to get some experience and get your foot on the ladder and trying to earn a few quid, those are the priorities. You know you know trying to think about you know self actualization and your values in your life isn't normal. But I'd suggest that the work that you're doing and what you're doing in real time personally by doing this type of work is you put in the questions that you're going to ask yourself at some point in your life earlier on. So mm. therefore I think. I wish I'd had that opportunity. Now it happens for me. I was just, I was that way inclined anyway. I was, you know, I was interested in philosophy and value and those types of things anyway. But I think that you know, whatever way you look at it, at some point in your life, you have to look in the mirror and go, "Is this the life I want to lead?" And I guarantee, always oh, interesting. Yeah, I think I guarantee that most people will have that that conversation at some, unless you're a sociopath or you know you got some sort of bump on the head. That you know, I think I think you, you you and the frequency of that question probably increases as you get some sort of cognitive dissonance through your life. If you're not living an authentic life, if you're living and working with arseholes, mm. then I would imagine at some point that that the, the stress, the frequency, and the stress of asking that question will increase. Mm. So I think there's you know there are practical realities when you're starting off in your career of things you've got to do you've got to get your foot on the ladder get some experience but you know once those things start to be solved and you go sort of further up Maslow's hierarchy you start to ask those questions and I, and I, I think that the sooner you ask yourself those questions because if you are in an environment where power and status and money matters then at some point you'll get to those things and I had a quote the other day, I can't remember who it was, but it was like that money is an accelerant to becoming your true self. So it doesn't change who you are. So if you're going to be an arsehole, money will make you more of an arsehole quicker. Hmm. But, you know, it should do. If you're going to be a good person, hopefully it'll help you fulfil some of your potential beyond making money. Hmm. I wish I remember who the quote was now. Hmm. I really liked it, but it was... Um, so I think, I think the questions that you've asked about, you know, work needing to be more meaningful you being in the community of people that you know you care about and are helping each other i think they're the things that everybody wants but everyone generally i'm a massive generalization here but i think most people don't realize that's open to them as an option mm -hmm. until it, it 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 breaks until people there's a thing in the I get what you're saying it's like until you get to a point where they can't do something anymore and then they have to make a change rather a, than... i don't know if you read the sunday times but there's a there's a guy matt rudd that writes in there and he started a column a couple of months ago which was um and it's it's a weird subset of society that he's targeting and intuitively you, you sort of roll your eyes but it's um it's it's people in their late 40s who have been on paper successfully working for large corporates 
So what what his, his thesis is, you go and have a look at it, but it's basically it's people who are living in the home counties on paper, they've got big jobs, they're earning big salaries, but actually not happy because they're locked into massive school fees, second homes. They don't own their own company, so there's no off-ramp off, off for them. So they've got to keep going, and all they're looking down the barrel of work that isn't stimulating for the next 15 or 20 years before they can retire. And it's interesting because I think that, whilst it doesn't sound like a a subset of society that's worthy of a lot of sympathy. I think it, it is it is germane to this conversation because, you know, a lot of people might find themselves, they're not deliberate about their choices and what's important to them, might find themselves with money, success, power, kids in private school, second home and that, but then being trapped into not being anything about it. And that's probably the perfect recipe for either a mental breakdown or midlife crisis mm. or combination of the two. Mm. Right? So I think it's just interesting that, you know, the, the sooner you ask the question about what, what are you trying to do with your lives? Mm. What success, what's success look like look like for you? Not just how much money are you going to make? What's the name on your cards, do business you, cards? Do you remember when you asked that in your life? No, I mean, it's it's, it's been... That's a good question. Because I do, I do, I also, you know, a mate of mine um, um, talked about this on a podcast recently, but, you know, it, 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 entrepreneurs um, have a tendency to look back on their narrative and look at it's perfectly linear and they've made these choices and everything's deliberate and contrary. It's not like that. So, you know, whilst I make, make it sound like that, that there has been a, an epiphany for me, it's just emergent. Like everything's emergent. You have instincts and values that you're operating from as a starting position. And then, and then they just make more sense. So, I was commercial. I, I mean, my first role at Last Minute was negotiating deals, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it um, for, with the airlines. And the, you know, the the, the money was and, and the, the making of money was was I think another quote which says it's not the thing, but it's a good way of keeping score. It's a good marker for knowing at least one measure of are you are you making mm. progress through your life. Um, but no, it's never. I mean, I suppose. You know, why I studied philosophy, even at 18 and 19, I wasn't particularly, didn't pay attention at school. I started to educate myself really from 19 onwards when I started to read a lot and, you know, philosophical and, 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 and classic literature. And so at that point, you're asking the big questions around, is there a God? What's life for? Yeah. What's the meaning and stuff? So, and, and, then, and then going to study philosophy, I had those questions at the heart. I didn't have the intellectual tools to even ask those questions properly. And what studying philosophy gave me is a framework, a historical framework or conceptual framework to ask some of the questions. A lot of the questions are problems of language rather than problems of metaphysics. So once you start to understand these things, but I don't think it's that complicated. I think the questions are, you want to you want to do good. You want to be around people you love. You want to feel like you want to do an interesting work. You want to make enough money to take care of your material needs so that you can project yourself and do something more meaningful with it. Mm. Um, and you want to, and hopefully you want to try and pass that on if you have kids. If you want to have kids, and if not, you know, to other people. But I finished this presentation I'm doing tonight. This lecture I'm doing, and, and my last slide is our. Is, is, uh, I finish off saying, "Remember, you die." It's the worst way to end a presentation. <laughs> you know, it's the most you know, depressing way. But it's sort of joking, but sort of important as well which is we, we spend most of our lives trying to ignore the reality that we're not going to be here at some point mm, yeah. and irrespective of your sort of religious um you know views on on what happens after that for me you're dead and you're gone right so it's quite a helpful framework right mm. <laughs> to go, look if you, if you know that you've got you know, chances are I might live to 120 with modern science and a bit of money but you know it's certainly not going to be much more than that i don't believe in immortality in the way that singularity is talking so um on that basis, very really, you know, you've got a finite amount of time, you know, and you can't live your life 
at that sort of metaphysical level every day, thinking about your death and that you've mm. got to fulfil. The, yeah. the bins still need taking out and your kids still need <laughs> to take to school and you know you still need to do things you've got to do. But it's a helpful reminder now and again mm. that actually if, you're not gonna, if you know you're not going to be here at some point, are you working in a company where you want to be shouted at by an arsehole every day? Are you Are working around people you don't like? Are you, mm. you know, you're, you're living in a place where you don't want to live? Are you, you spend enough time with your family? You know, so it just, it, you know, with that as a, one of the filters, I think it can be helpful. So, Do you, do you find, because obviously if you've had these values from an earlier point in your career, going into being a leader, do you see the people, uh, well, your employees effectively, do you see traits in them that suggest that they don't know their purpose or they, they've not considered it at least? Yeah, so that's a good question. Like we don't sit around like on beanbags, you know, talking about Heidegger and yeah. sort of the mean. I yeah. mean, we, we never got to that. But I do think, I think you're high on values, right? So I think implicit in, in what I'm saying here is that, you know, again, Lucas, the CTO mate of mine, he, he had this great question that when we interviewed people, I interviewed everyone for the first year in the business. I mean, absolutely everyone. Um, you know, technical ability has to be a given in a company, but then there's that little, what's the other bit about personality or connection or difference that you want in the organisation? And we used to, Lucas had this question, which I thought was brilliant, so simple, but it's so profound. He said, when we'd, when we'd sort of gather up afterwards and talk about the candidate and say, do we want to hire them? The question was, are you excited about the thought of working with this person? And excited doesn't mean, you know, they're, they're, they're going to do the job. It's excited about, do they add something different to our dynamic mm. that's going to move us on as an organisation? And I think part of that is, you know, people... Look, we were tech business in the insurance space, so we didn't hire any insurance people, uh, apart from the people who did all our contract stuff. So attracting people to that industry, it wasn't about people sprung out of bed in the morning thinking, I want to work in insurance. You mm. know? It was about the, what we were trying to, the problem we were trying to solve, the market we were trying to you know, shake up a bit, and also about you know the sort of culture that we were trying to build. And you just tell, you know, you look in people's eyes and you get a sense of what's important to them and what they do outside their hours and... Thing there, this could be part of this, and we get it wrong a lot as well. But so, I think people often bring that to the company to mm. be honest with you a sense of you know that they, they want to work in an environment where they can be autonomous and solve their own problems and be accountable to each other rather than it's less about m management. I often say management's a failure of leadership, it's about you know, how do you set a vision for a company and a culture mm. and values? Yeah. And then just hire great people, smart people, that they'll work the rest out. Because mm. yeah. my, my theory, and maybe this is just going out on a limb here, but if you have a culture where the leader says, you know, my family comes first, then you will question to yourself, you know, if you are somebody that's like, oh, you know, my career is everything. And I, no, I that's, a good, that's, a really good, that's a really good distinction, actually. So, so one of the things I learned early on, and I made this mistake in the first business that I, I was fortunate to, to manage, is that when last minute but we, they bought two businesses and, and I ended up going up in and um, rationalising the business, which basically means firing a bunch of people uh, and, and bringing it into one management. And these businesses were quite traditional. So I went up and I dressed like, I mean, I've got a shirt on today because I'm doing this lecture, but no, you know, George will tell you I'm normally... No, you look name. smart yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but like, I dressed like I've always dressed, which is I'll dress out of work and stuff, which is normally just a sweater and some trainers or, or shoes and jeans. And I went into this business and, and people were wearing suits and ties. So I said, look, from now on, you can wear what you like. And actually, it was interesting because what people heard from me is they need to dress like me, like jeans and a sweater. But actually, what I was saying was, if you want to wear a top hat and you know bowler hat to work, you know, that's absolutely fine. Just come as yourself. But often, people you're just replacing one set of rules with a different set of rules. And the same thing here, right? Which is. 
because I'm at a stage in my career where you know my family life was important. So when when I when I when I you know got involved with Simply Business, we just had my first child, and you know I was getting married that year. So I wanted to make sure I'd recalibrated my life around that being an important thing for me. But like in my thirties, I worked seven days a week. You know, when I was at LastMinute.com and that started off, because I, I loved it. So it wasn't. You know, well, there was no distinction. So I think that's a good question because it's not saying that to work for Simply Business you need to be focused on your family. It's like whatever works for you, but make mm. it deliberate choice. And if you, we've got people that are at the stage of their careers where they want to work. Mm. Another example is that we did this thing a few years ago. We ripped it off from um, from Daimler, where when you go on holiday, um, I was put an out of office on, which says. I'm literally, I delete the email app off my phone, so you're not going to get in touch with me. I don't see emails. If you need me, call me. And guess what? No one ever calls. Usually because I say, look, I'm with my kids and think carefully about my kids' faces as you're going to call me. But, but the point <laughs> is, is that people need time to relax. But what was interesting about that is for certain people in the business, that made them more anxious, thinking that they would have to catch up or would miss something. And so again, we said, look, it's just about giving you a choice and you thinking consciously about what works for you. But then with a little bit of guidance, if you're senior and you've got a bit more experience going, actually, it's not good to be working seven days a week all, all the time. And we want you to do that, but we also want you to have other interests and develop other, other parts of your spirit and your soul as well. Because in the long run, that's important. But yeah, different stages of your career, different things are important, right? So one of my biggest, I mean, I, I jumped into that general management position. I'd just come out of a relationship and I was miserable. And so it gave me the opportunity to throw myself into work and forget about this relationship that just finished. Mm. So actually, it's a terrible thing to say, but one of the biggest boosts in my career was I just threw myself into work because I was in, in this emotional thing mm. I was trying to get away from. But So yeah, so I think it's just, it's more about, being conscious about your choices and mm. making something that works for you, but that'll change throughout your career. Definitely, right? and I think that's 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 fine. Yeah, it's yeah. Fine. I feel like, I, as I've got to know you over the last year or two, I've got to know the, like, the real Jason. Like the more we chat, even just spending time with you now, mm. I suppose I've always wondered: Have you been able to be your, to be honest and be your full self, especially as you become? MD, CEO, and, and more senior? Do you feel like you can be? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I think you need to. There's a thing that I talk about, which is holding on to your burdens. There are things that you can't talk about, right? And, uh, you know, I hate it when people talk about the, the jobs of CEO has been lonely. I think yeah, it's, it's such a negative phrase and it's such self-pity, right? It's such a privilege to do those types of roles and be up in front of people and leading. So I think the idea, but it can be isolating. So there are things that you have to keep to yourself or, you know, or by sharing them sometimes can just lightning rod stress to other people. But they're few and far between actually. You know, there are usually issues around money and finance and people issues that, you know, private or legal. So, but on the whole, you know, the ability not to filter is helpful, I think. Mm. And, you know, over time, you know, you need to, look, I think I think being a CEO is this weird paradox these days of being absolutely confident, almost bordering on arrogance. You need to be you need to be confident in your ability to solve stuff. But at the other end of that, you know, a vulnerability and a capability to take feedback and listen. And those things don't sound like they would sit naturally in an individual. But I think to be decent at the job, and I'm not saying that's for the people to judge whether I was or not. You know, the ability to listen and take advice and take feedback at the same time having absolute confidence in your ability mm. and not being scared of stuff. So it's weird, right? It's a weird mm. comment. So, but but I, I just think it's a massive privilege. I've really enjoyed, you know, being part of teams and building teams. Mm. And um, but I do I do worry about. I mean, maybe a follow on is that I do worry about. One of the reasons I stepped down last year, you know, we'll be I think we'll be eight hundred people this year, wow. and I stepped down because part of it was the travel. I couldn't be in the states as much as I needed to be, and that was the priority. 
But there's another thing that I worry about is that as you don't have one-on-one relationships with people as you scale a business, you know, you might say something that in a private conversation might seem throwaway. You know, because of Twitter and social media, we're, we're quick to judge and we're quick to criticise and we're quick to, to be offended these days. Mm. It's just the nature of it. And there's a great book called... Um, the coddling of the American mind by Jonathan Haidt that talks about why the internet has led to this 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 culture of outrage and we you know and you get some virtue points by showing that you're outraged by stuff mm-hmm. and I worry about authenticity we don't give people the benefit of the doubt so occasionally hopefully not that often I get it wrong so I'd get up and say something I'd make a joke or mm-hmm. which I don't have much of a filter and, and and you know most people in the business would like that because it'd be fun it would show that you know we didn't take ourselves too seriously but every now and again you get it wrong and you might offend someone. And in a, in a company that's at a scale where you know, everyone knows you individually will give you the benefit of the doubt, I'm worried a little bit about you know, whether that'll get distorted. And that's more of a uh, philosophical question about how you scale cultures where mm. people are looking for fault in people. Um, so we just put an extra bit of money in the legal line for a point that we'll get sued at some point. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, mate, you've done a good job. I was just, when I was Googling it, you've, Simply Business I Know has won Best Place to Work twice. Yeah. You've won best leader in the uk in 2016 like you've obviously not my words sunday times words. no like, but yeah, you pop, pop that on linkedin if you, <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, it's, um, but they um, must be that must have felt nice felt good to be recognized for leading in this way and not only the team but also others yeah look i mean those, those are amazing moments but i'm, I'm, I'm not being false much you know me well enough on that on that continuum of arrogance confidence and Know, self-humility I, I, I do I do skew to it says this is not false modesty but that's the business that does that you, you set the direction and tone but the work to make that a great place to work is in everybody's hands in the business every day turning up so I'm not again I'm not diminishing you have to set the tone and you have to set the direction but the real work is in the day-to-day relationships and respect people have for each other and the ability and then you we were tactical about it, right so we set out to win it as well so you know make no no bones about that is that we talked about entering i'm like i don't like to do anything without trying to win hmm. so i was like Look, let's try and do it the best way we can so hmm. we ran it as a way we looked at the things we need to measure and said let's get good at those you know so it was a nice framework but it was you can't fake it but at the same time you know i like the idea of winning so we said but but the vote on the leader stuff was was you know it was Oh, it's brilliant in a way because that, that was the people in the business voting that. And you know, there's only so many people you can go behind them at their desks and put their arms up behind the back and tell them to vote for you. So once that stops, you know, you have to feel like there's some value in it. So no, it was, it was, it was, it was beautiful, but it was just a, you know, it's just another gate, it's just another marker. I don't the awards in my loo at home, so it's like you know, it's just another marker on, <laughs> on you know, if you, if you put it on, thing that defines you. The better question is, what, what can you use that for to propel you to the next thing that you want to do? It's more mm. interesting, I guess. So. Um, but yeah, we, no, I'll be kidding you. It was, it was a, it was a very good night. I think I tried to do a handstand on the dance floor the night we won it, which I've never done. So I, I successfully did a handstand, I would say. Yeah. Chris Slater, my partner, will tell you slightly differently. But um, yeah, you, you know when you're doing a handstand on a on a dance floor, you feel pretty good about something <laughs> at 45. So. Well, I know um, we need to wrap up in the next sort of few minutes. Yeah. Scott. I actually um, also posted on LinkedIn this morning. I was like, I'm speaking to Jason this yeah. morning. Has anybody got a question? And Jack asked, in contrast to this, actually, what's been your biggest setback and how did you recover? Setback? Okay. That will be the final question. I like question. that question because it's quite yeah. broad. He didn't actually say in your career. He just said, what's been your biggest setback? Yeah, I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm an optimist by nature, so everything's just something you have to go round or over, doesn't it? But, uh, you know, just responding to that. You know, I, I didn't have a... You know, on paper, I didn't have a great start in life, so single parent, council estate, all that stuff. But 
you know, even that, it, it, you know, it, it meant that I've had no boundaries. I've been able to just follow my passions and do stuff, which I had no, no mum and dad looking at me going, I, mean, I didn't have a dad at all, so I just, you know, still don't know who he is today. So I've never had anyone look at me going, you need to go to university, you need to get a job, you need to be successful. But that's been liberating. I've been able to do stuff I, I want to do because of that. So that, but I, I didn't particularly, I didn't knuckle down at school, I was bright, so, but I've educated myself through my 20s, that continues today. Um, you know, so, but that's been, that's been a joy as well, right? So it's not. Um, I've had I've had some I've had some really poor shareholder interactions actually. Actually, so one of them was we got we I think I wrote about it in the book, which is we did a deal. I spent a year doing a deal. and I had to change my all my investors because it wasn't working. It was it was toxic, and that deal fell apart at the eleventh hour because of one of the investors negotiated um, um, too aggressively. And at the end of a year, knowing I had to do a deal, that was quite hard. I had to pick myself up, and I went home. And I had a conversation with my wife, and I was like, we talked about it. I was like, there's two reactions. You either just give up and go and get another job, which I knew I could, or you sort of dig in and try and go again. And um, after taking a few days to think about it, it wasn't obvious to me in that moment, because giving up sometimes is a decent answer on stuff, um, is I decided to go again, and I spent three months trying to create a deal without telling anybody, not even people in the business, not even my shareholders. I did it on my own, and that was the first deal that we did to refinance Simply Business. And I took three months and I told, uh, halfway through that process, I told Chris, who was my partner, and we came in and we did it together. Um, but that was interesting, because at that point, there's a different path I could have taken, which is you could have stepped away. throwing the tile in. And legitimately, I put a lot of effort, I put a year of work into it, and, and, I, and I thought long and hard of it, but, but we went again, and, and I, I'm, I'm so glad that we did. But mm. again, it's, 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 a, it's a bit of a forced answer, because I do think yeah. as an entrepreneur, you just, it's just life, right? Like You have good days and bad days, and... You know, you're never as bad as people say you are. You're never as mm. good as people say you are. So as long as you keep, just keep going mm. and um, try and work out. So, you know, time will tell whether they're the right things. Yeah. And it sounds, I think, to me, just when you talk about not knowing your dad and where you've come from or where you've grown up, it's like deep-rooted, I think. I really feel that. I actually didn't know that part of your Did you story. Okay. The part of your story until yeah. just now. But I can, ever since I've known you, like, there's something really deep in how you see the world. You've always got a positive outlook on things. And you're so driven to just do good. Hmm. I just think, and it's, I know I'm going to sound like a hippie here, but you know, it's you know, it's um, there's always people worse off than you. So I never felt, I never felt, I had a particularly bad upbringing. But looking back on it, it wasn't great. But at the time, it was plenty of love. I've got three brilliant brothers who you know I'm really close hmm. to. My mum, really close to. I've got a great family now. So you can you can always meet. Everyone's got a story, right? And everyone and there's people who really had a tough set of circumstances and continue to have set circumstances. So I think it's a real gift to have the ability or the mindset to be able to pull yourself out of that. And I'm really, I really, you know, I like people. I think less about people's end state, and I think people about people's the distance they've travelled in their life. A lady, Deb Solander, I work with, is brilliant. Who runs our operations? She came up with this idea. It's always stuck with me. The idea of, you know, the social distance that you travel, the full distance you travel. So, so I often think that you know, for people who start off in a really rough environment, that end up working in our call centre. Sometimes those people have travelled a bigger philosophical distance than people who have had a brilliant upbringing, gone to a great university, and end up being a CEO. I think that's the thing that you judge your life on, which is what's the distance you've travelled over, what's the arc overall? Because it's harder for people in certain circumstances to even get a job, let alone certain people becoming CEOs and running businesses. I think just that that perspective for me, I've got more, you know, I've got I've got you know a lot of empathy for people who who really are self motivated and really I think those are people that are, mm. you know, desirous of, of support really. So, love it. 
God, that was like a depressing way to no, miss the no, like, I feel love quite it. sad now. No. Sorry. Sorry. Is there any way of putting a Have you got any positive? last questions, Scotty? Anything I'm, else? I'm just have a little cry in the corner <laughs> while you wrap up. I'm going to drop to the fatal position. And... I did have one more. Go on, Scotty. Last one. Go on, make it up left in, Scott, please. Well, I was, I was going to get the sense. I got the sense that, like, the you've been value driven from the start uh, but do you feel the responsibility for how you act on your employees because like, it, it almost and like not in a negative way it almost sounds like it's almost like this is how i am and even if it's had a positive impact yeah. is is almost a, a a byproduct of of just you being you mm-hmm. so bring you bringing your full, full self everything yeah. else is a byproduct of that yeah look i, I just um I remember saying on one, of the, I think it was the first day in Simply Business, and I meant it. It's like, look, it, when when you when you build a business, it's as much it's about everyone in that business deciding whether they want to work with you as much as whether you want to work with them. So then you think the power is with the people who make the hiring and firing, but it's as, it's it's as much in the balance as everyone in the business as well. It's that they're looking at the 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 the, the system in the broadest sense that you're trying to create in the culture, the economics, you know, the technology, the system that you're creating. Um, with people, then people have a choice whether they want to participate and be a part of that system. So I get that this doesn't work for everyone. I'm totally fine with that, right? In the same way, you know, that you have different, you know, opinions on the realms of politics and philosophy and religion. That's what makes life interesting. So I I don't think I've got any, I've got no uh, monopoly on the truth. I've got monopoly on my truth. I understand what's important to me. And then people can make their decision and choice around whether that works for them, whether it sounds like bullshit, whether it's you know, against their ideology. And I'm fine with that, by the way. And actually, that's where your own growth comes from, is mm. being challenged on, on stuff. So that's why I wrote the book. Was it was, a, it was a half-baked thesis so that it can be developed into proper ideas. And so, yeah, look, I think, I think people have a choice. And I feel a deep obligation to making sure you know anyone that I've worked with in my career I mean again, again this might sound counterintuitive but I say to people you know when we work together the job is not to keep you in your seat in that role the job is for you to to, to get what you want out of the company and the company to get what they can out of you and if at the right point that's you going and doing something if we can't keep growing the company and make it interesting for you so for you here Scott once you've got beyond what you want to do next if it's not here then it's somewhere else I would help you do that mm. and you know the, the people have I've got a good relationship who maintain a good relationship throughout my career this is a lifelong commitment to them it's not about why we work together this is about us as individuals not mm. us as a economic transaction so and I mean that because that's the stuff that will matter so I get the most joy out of seeing people that I don't work with today starting businesses or you know, hitting their stride or being successful in a different dimension as much as, you know, I do the personal success in the individual business in that day. So so I think, um, I guess if that answers your question, I, I, do, mm. I, do, I do think that, you know, yeah, just yeah. take it or leave it. It's not, it's not, it's not, I'm not saying this is it. No, you're this saying is right. this is who I am. Yeah. Yeah. Same with James and because we, we've been in meetings before where I, I can't remember what the, what the context would have been, but James and George have effectively said to me, like, if if you want to leave, we'll help you do that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think that is, as an employee, it's just like <laughs> you're just like, what the fuck did? You do? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it, it just completely changes how it's weird. This right? stereo- what did that do for you then? What did that do for you in terms of your commitment to being here and being able to be yourself? Because well, you would then ask, because then the immediate pressure of, you know, you'd ask yourself, wait, do I want to leave? And then you actually ask yourself the question. And then you're like, 
no, no, I don't want to leave. <laughs> well, there's a weird, there's a, this is often the, the case, there's a weird invoice, parado- inver- inverted paradox around some of this stuff, which is, if you, if you, if, if James and George were entirely evil, which let's, for the best of this conversation, assume they're not, right? but they could do those things because, you know, you will go, Christ almighty, these people really care about yeah. me. And so you'd end up working harder. So the weird thing about this way of working and actually caring about people, now you can't fake it, right? yeah. but is that actually I think people work harder. As a lady, as a, a phenomenal lady that I worked with, um, I won't mention her name because she might get embarrassed, but you know, yeah. almost within two weeks of her coming to work with me, I was like, look, at the right point when you want to go do something else, you see so good, by the way, and... You know, she'll if she listens, she'll know. She's. I was like, I'll help you go and do the next thing because I'd, I'd love to be able to invest and support you for your next <laughs> thing. And but that's the the, the sort of the, the the code in businesses is that you just try and work people in the job they're doing and the cost of changing them out and that. But actually, a it just creates a lifelong relationship, which is actually what we're all looking for. And b, you know, the the idea that getting people to ask the question about is this the place I really want to be when they say yes to that if they say no to that question then they fuck off and it's probably right anyway for the business yeah. if they say yes the renewed energy and vigour that you've got feeling like you've got a boss who actually cares about you holistically rather than as a you know as headcount mm. in a business it just I think it just shifts the dynamic and mm. so even if it wasn't coming from a good place I think it creates a culture that could increase productivity and I think that'd be interesting to see the data on that but that's yeah. That's 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 the trick, right? Much more uplifting note to finish. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that. that's a good point. No, great, it's been um, a pleasure. Yeah, and um, honestly, you're you're genuinely one of the most successful people I know, but also one of the nicest. You might not know many people. George. Yeah, I don't know many. I don't know many. <laughs> I know, <laughs> you know, about me. but you're also one of the nicest guys. I I don't think you. I wanted to say this because I don't think you know how much you've impacted me and James just in the small interactions we've had, we've had with you. You, you really have so and I'm sure that's the same with a lot of people um, I appreciate that, that touch, so thank you so much for yeah I know you're a busy man as well so thanks so much for your time no, as well. I, really I, pre- enjoyed I appreciate it. it wasn't a lot of eye contact there do you know that was awkward for both of us wasn't yeah. it <laughs> I've, I've got, my shoes have become very interesting <laughs> all, all of a sudden but, I uh, find it hard to look at somebody's no, I, appreciate, I appreciate that Jerry, right, look at, and um, I, it's a gift for me to be involved with you guys I think you're doing brilliant work I think you know you're asking some really important questions for how do you want to live your life? What's important in the long run? I know that came out of hard one experience mm. for you. So and more people need to know about what you're doing. So if this helps, yeah. that'd, that'd be cool. And I think with this, I know we've just I know we're trying to wrap up here, but I think one of the things we've been saying a lot recently is why you do business is really important. But how you do business, I think we're becoming really passionate about it. I think we're mm. realizing actually that's as important, maybe more important, because ultimately that's what we've just spent the last hour talking about, like how mm. we lead, how we run companies, we're fine. how we no, work. No, right. it's, it's the beginning of this conversation. Adam Smith, 1776, Wealth of Nations, was not about making money. It's about functioning societies in the capitalist system, about wealth for everyone in the fullest sense. And I think they're, they're old questions, right? We just need them more important than they've ever been to be asked again because for 50 years we've lost our way, right? So I think it's important work that you're doing. So. Mm. Keep at it. We will. Keep and we'll going. have hopefully have you on here another time. I'd, I'd love to keep chatting. Good stuff. Thanks, Cheers, guys. Jace. Appreciate it.